You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, I'm Tom Jackman, a criminal justice reporter at the Washington Post. And today we're going to look at a problem that is affecting many major cities in America, rising crime, often violent crime. Our focus today will be in our own backyard of Washington, D.C. And my guests are the eighth mayor of Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, Muriel Bowser, and the city's police chief, Robert Conti. Welcome, both of you, to Washington Post Live. Thanks, Tom. Uh, We've got a lot of questions from viewers, but uh, let me start with a couple myself. Uh, Mayor Bowser, uh, as we saw in that intro, homicides are up over 12% compared to last year, which was a bad year. But to be fair, violent crime, which includes murder, sexual abuse, aggravated assault, robbery, uh, is only up 2%. And last year, violent crime was actually down 4% in the district. Still, homicides are the most drastic of crimes and, and what can create a sense of fear among citizens. And this is true in almost every big city these days. Mayor Bowser, do you have a sense of why we're seeing this here? And in your discussions with other mayors and police chiefs, is there anything different or unique happening here in the district? Uh, Well, certainly we don't want any amount of crime and certainly violent crime, gun crime or um, homicide in our city. And we approach it certainly from a comprehensive way uh, to address the the causes of violence, um, provide opportunities and more opportunity programs for our residents, um, but also enforce our laws. And so um, when we uh, approach uh, the prevention of crime and the enforcement of lawlessness in that way, uh, we know that we'll be able to drive down the numbers. You ask about what's happening nationally, uh, and I, while well, I can't point to a single thing, I don't think any mayor can or any person who's researching crime can. Um, certainly, we know that the global pandemic has affected um, our cities and towns and people uh, in ways that are that are yet. Uh, to be fully determined. Yes, mayors all over the country are talking about it. You probably know that I was at at the White House um, with the president um, talking about uh, how the federal government can partner with us uh, to make sure uh, that we have everything possible uh, to address um, rises in violent crime. And it's the gun crime, as you note, um, that we're particularly worried about. Uh, I get it. And so, Chief Conti, we turn to you with sort of a similar question. I did want to ask you this. So you became a police officer in 1992. Do you know how many homicides there were in the city that year? I don't recall that year specifically, but I would say probably somewhere over 400 would be my guess. That's that's correct. 443. It was the fourth of five straight years of more than 430 murders. But 20 years later, In 2012, there were 88 homicides in the district. So now we're headed back up again, but I think that shows that that you can have an impact, that the murder rate can be driven down. Uh, We're heading, so uh, I guess what I wonder is what worked back then, what leading up to 2012, where we saw such a drastic drop and will that work again now? And I also want you to uh, revisit the question of why but you're putting on your criminologist and your police chief hat. Why are we seeing the raise and and what works to drive uh, homicide rates down in the district? 
Yeah, I, I would just really echo uh, what the mayor said in terms of, you know, the, the reasons behind this. I talk to police chiefs all around the country uh, almost daily. And in those discussions, as we talk about, you know, the things that are happening, uh, the things that are consistent uh, that I hear, uh, I hear, you know, gun uh, being a common denominator uh, and accountability or lack thereof office also uh, being um, one of the common denominators uh, that I hear. Uh, so I think that that's something that we have to look at uh, when we talk about uh, the, e the justice system, uh, the ecosystem uh, that is that is responsible for holding violent criminals accountable. Uh, you know, you go back to uh, what happened, you know, back, you know, some years ago, uh, there was a lot of incarceration that happened. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, that is the answer uh, to all of our problems by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I mean, we had people going to jail for uh, low-level drug offenses and, and for long periods of time and so forth. And I think that, you know, during that during that time, if you look at our incarceration rate, it was probably through the roof. Uh, we lock a lot of people up uh, every year. But, you know, I think it's one of those things where you really have to look at this uh, holistically. It's not just you know, law enforcement, it's not just program. You can't arrest your way out of the situation. You can't program your way out of it. I think it's something that you really have to tackle uh, from both ends of the rope to really try to uh, uh, find the, the sweet spot, if you will, uh, to reduce violent crime in, in, in any major city. Mayor Bowser, uh, I know you've been asked this before, defund the police was a reaction that we heard a lot starting last year uh, to police violence. Uh, very few big city mayors support that, but it was an expression of, you know, impatience and rage about watching citizens uh, being victimized. How do we change police besides defunding them if if we need to? Well, sure. And so let me be clear. Uh, I, I was not a supporter of a, a defund movement uh, in the city and certainly wasn't supportive of any um, police investments uh, being reduced in our city, especially when we already saw kind of ticks up of crime and some things that we were concerned about. Nonetheless, uh, that was uh, what happened uh, with, with our budget. And we experienced a year where we weren't able to do any hiring. Um, and that's not good. So I think that we had a net loss with attrition of about 300 officers. Um, good for us that this year I moved an emergency uh, funding measure through the council, uh, which is going to allow us to hire uh, 200 officers this year. Um, that still won't make up for what we lost, but it will get us back on the right track uh, of where we need to be. The truth is that law enforcement is not ever going to be the only answer um, to a public safety issue like we're experiencing right now. So we've also uh, invested $59 million, largely supported by the American Rescue Plan, uh, that will allow us to try some non-law enforcement uh, interventions, uh, including uh, hiring more than 50 new and 50 additional violence interrupters that will work for trusted community partners and be out in neighborhoods to try to prevent crime before it happens. We're investing in a pilot um, that will provide uh, housing vouchers 
uh, for people who are involved in our public safety programs. And we think that if they have safe and stable housing and maybe out of the environment uh, where they've been involved in crime, that we'll also see uh, a better, better outcomes. Uh, and we're also always looking at ways uh, to evolve our police department. Listen, MPD has been involved in uh, evolution um, since the 90s, where we've professionalized our force, we've trained our officers, we've equipped. I think we were probably among the first big cities to equip our officers um, with body-worn camera um, that, that hold everybody involved accountable. And we have an independent police complaints board. Uh, so you won't hear any of us, and especially the police chief, um, saying that we aren't always looking for ways to improve um, our department. The officers can't do their work without the trust of the community. The community cannot have safety without the officers. So we recognize that every day um, we invest in that police and community trust. You mentioned violence interrupters, uh, and I think there's maybe a couple of different programs of that going on in the city. Have, have you seen any positive results? I don't know, not even sure you could measure it, but have you, do you have a sense that that's something that can work? Well, like I said, we try everything um, that has demonstrated some effectiveness, whether here or in other places in the city, I mean, and in the country. And, and, and to be honest with you, we're always evolving our violence interruptions programs too. They're fairly new. Um, we're working on about five years of experience um, with those programs, um, making sure we have the right teams, the right approaches, uh, and the right ways um, to measure uh, their progress. So my answer to you would be, uh, we, we, we feel like we need more time um, to see how effective they can be as part of our um, public safety ecosystem. Uh, Chief Conti, your police staffing is down uh, to its lowest point in 20 years. Uh, is it necessarily true that fewer cops equal more crime or that more cops equal less crime? I think it'll, it'll be a, um, a hard case to try to make, quite frankly, but um, from the, the vantage point that I have, you know, the district's population, we're over 700,000. I mean, that's significant uh, for our city if you look at, you know, the last 15 to 20 years. The population in the District of Columbia, it continues to grow. Uh, clearly, in my mind, you know, with those, with that increased population, uh, we are obviously a tourist attraction uh, for the entire world. And while we have been, uh, um, or we have re reopened, but in, in times of uh, COVID, when we see reduced amounts of people in District of Columbia, there's still people in our city uh, that require the services of the Metropolitan Police Department. Uh, clearly, that is not the time uh, where we want to see uh, reduction in force, where we see uh, crimes that are happening, violent crimes specifically that make people feel unsafe. So much like it's, it's very hard to, to measure sometimes the effectiveness of violence interrupters, like you mentioned, right? How, how, how do we know how many crimes don't occur because of the presence of police officers. We really don't know that. We don't know of the shootings or the homicides that don't occur because of the presence of police officers. But what we do know is that when residents uh, don't see police officers out in community, uh, they feel unsafe uh, when that's the case. So I think it's something that is really kind of hard to get to, but uh, I'd rather have police officers in community. And when I, quite frankly, when I talk to most residents, uh, they want to see their police officers in their community. 
Chief, you raised because another thing that we're we're always looking at, Tom, is where our residents are are calling for us, um, and they're calling nine one one, and we can look at over the years, and the chief has already mentioned how our our um, population has increased, our business uh, population has increased, the places where people go for um, dining and work and recreation, all of those things have increased, um, which means our calls for service, um, people dialing 911 saying they need help have also gone up. And so we're committed, our residents expect when they call 911 to have a professional show up, whether it's fire and EMS or our police officers, and that we don't experience um, a lengthening of the time it takes for us to respond to them. And all of those are important um, in a city that's grown like ours. Listen, that you you referenced the 90s. I grew up in DC in the 90s. Chief Conti grew up in DC in the 90s. So we have experienced what uh, a what it what backsliding uh, to a culture of violence could look like in our town. Um, our commitment to transforming our city, um, it, you know, it kind of starts and ends with our commitment to keeping our neighborhoods safe um, and, and making sure that we have the best schools and the best amenities of, of any big city in America. And that's, that's what our focus um, what our focus is. But we have to have um, the, the public servants to uh, address the needs of our residents, visitors, and workers uh, to be able to uh, maintain that kind of experience for DC. All right, we've got questions from our readers, or as we say here on Washington Post Live, our viewers. And so the first one is from Lee Eliav of the district, who asks, what are you doing to curb violence in the city, especially the violence occurring at parks and playgrounds? You want to take that one, Chief? Sure, absolutely. Uh, a number of things in that space. Um, obviously, uh, deployment of personnel is essential, and we want to make sure when we talk about uh, places where our children uh, are playing, uh, you know, where my child is playing, going to a rec center or going uh, just to the neighborhood park, uh, those are locations where we want to make sure uh, that we not just have police working in those neighborhoods, but we're also partnering with members in the community or just folks, just local folks uh, who are also a part of the overall law enforcement strategy. Uh, right now, we have, we talked about the violence interrupters. Uh, we have individuals from, uh, from the Build the Mayor's Building Blocks initiative uh, that we work closely uh, with. In the, in, in the space of gun violence prevention to try to make sure that we are doing everything that we possibly can to make communities safer. On the law enforcement side specifically, uh, we started out community-focused patrol units, which are officers spe specifically on mountain bikes and scooters uh, that are working in community where they can engage community, where they can feel, where community members uh, can see that police presence and hopefully feel safer as a result of that police presence. We're still continuing to recover firearms legal firearms off the streets of the District of Columbia. So far this year, we've surpassed where we were this time last year. We've recovered over 1,800 illegal firearms off the streets of the District of Columbia. And that's because our officers are work out there working in the spaces and places of where they're play playgrounds and, and children that are out there or community members that are just out there enjoying the space. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on uh, within the Metropolitan Police Department uh, to really stay focused on that. Uh, carjacking task force 
force I, that comes to mind uh, an initiative that we started our Navin investigations unit that we started with the ATF are uh, really all focused on reducing gun violence in our city uh, those are just some of the initiatives uh, to name a few that we have working uh, to make residents feel safer and reduce gun violence in our city uh you remind me, I've written a number of stories about ghost guns, which are guns which are assembled by people without serial numbers, and you guys keep finding yep. more and more of them. Uh, Chief, is that something that that can be addressed somehow? I mean, finding them is one thing, but stopping them from getting made is another. Uh, yeah. Is there, are there approaches that can handle that? Yeah, well, I would say it's a step further than that. It's it's holding the people accountable when we do catch them with them, right? We know what the intentions are for individuals who are in possession of these types of guns. And, you know, when we have, uh, uh, you know, in our city, uh, individuals who get arrested with these types of firearms and you see that, you know, they, they were released because of, you know, COVID or something like that. I mean, that that's just unacceptable is the bottom line. Uh, if we want to make sure that we have a safe city, then it, it, it requires uh, a reimagination, if you will, of the entire ecosystem that has that responsibility to make sure that not only are the police officers uh, arresting the right people, getting the right guns out of the wrong hands, but when we do bring those individuals uh, into custody, that they are being um, uh, detained as they should be and not back out in community where they make communities unsafe. Mayor Bowser, we saw a thing in the intro about a fall anti-crime initiative, but I, I think you had one for the summer, which I thought had a lot of interesting approaches, targeting specific neighborhoods, other social calming devices. Did you get any, uh, at, now that we're at the end of the summer, did you get any kind of feedback on whether or not that was effective or had any impact? It is effective um, and we have been, the chief will tell me how many years we've been doing summer crime initiatives, but they're very effective for a lot of reasons. Uh, we do see violent crime driven down. Uh, the chief taps a, um, a, a up and coming a captain um, to, to give the captain the responsibility for a, a concentrated area. Uh, the chief deploys overtime as needed and just really floods the area uh, with resources. The officers are also tasked with not just being in community to make arrests, but being in community to do events and walk the blocks, um, get to know neighbors and, and, and get to know leaders. It is a very intense use of resources. Um, earlier in the summer, you might have noticed that I authorized the chief um, to use uh, as much overtime as he needed uh, in, in deploy across the city. Now I say that because we can make the, the dollars and cents available um, because we'll move them around from other um, priorities in the city. Uh, but it's, it's difficult um, to tax our officers uh, in, in that way. So overtime is never really unlimited because we're dealing with a human resource and we need people um, to be fresh um, and ready to make good decisions. They, this is a, um, a, a dangerous job that they have and we need them fresh and able um, to make good decisions. But having said that, um, we also, there are also crime trends that uh, evolve in the fall and uh, they may be different. They may actually be different patterns. And so the chief took a fresh look uh, in September at the areas that could benefit uh, from that infusion of, of people resources. 
Let's take another question and if from I could just add, viewer. If I could just add, ahead, add to that, too. Uh, so for the summer crime initiative, uh, to the mayor's point, you know, we experienced double-digit reductions in violent crime uh, as well as property crime in the areas that uh, that were selected for the summer crime initiative. This is actually the second year that we've done the fall crime initiative, uh, and we, we're equally looking for success. Uh, it's a tough time, right, because as we look at the analysis, uh, it's not necessarily uh, apples to apples comparison, right? For example, uh, you look at some locations that we that we've chosen uh, to focus on, and let's say an area like uh, Columbia Heights, where you have the Target store and a lot of businesses up there. Uh, during uh, when we were at the peak of COVID, some of those businesses uh, were closed uh, last year. You know, while we have a comparison this year, when these businesses are open and you see increasing uh, levels, like in auto thefts or uh, uh, theft from autos as an example and when you see some of those increasing levels but we are up for the challenge uh, the captains are committed to the area uh, they're out there uh, to engage the communities and suppress crime uh, in the process of our engagement so uh, you know we're into it and right now uh, we are seeing some reductions in our violent crime uh, we're still struggling a bit in the property crime area but at the end of this uh, I really expect to see some positive results all right, let's take another question from a viewer. Joshua Lopez of the district asks, what are your plans to work around the DC Council's obstruction of MTD's request to hire more officers? I think you should take that one first, Mayor Bowser. What, what are your I, plans? Well, I, well, this is my job, Tom. My job is to tell the council and to tell the people what we need. And I don't care what the political winds are, which way they're blowing. My job is to tell when a police chief tells me what he needs, my job is to, to go to the council and um, work to get those resources. And, you know, we didn't get them in the regular course of the budget, but we came back later and I'm proud to say that we got much um, of what uh, of what we asked for for hiring um, for for the current year. But it's a, it's a bigger question, I think, that's asked um, because there's kind of a, you know, a ideological disagreement, um, I think. And it is fine and we are fully engaged with um, a, a commission that the council created to look at the police force. Uh, we don't agree with all of their recommendations, um, but we are certainly willing uh, to work on, on ways that have been identified to increase trust among police um, and community. Uh what, what's happening with the crime lab? So the crime lab was decertified earlier this year. The gun unit within the crime lab was uh, disbanded. And uh, also the 911 center recently got an audit which said that they were not uh, always so reliable at, at dispatching folks to the right addresses. Are these things that still, that, that trouble you guys and that you're doing something about? Well, I'm troubled by um, the issue with with the crime lab for a lot of reasons, um, and that's a complicated discussion, probably for uh, for another setting. But but let me say this: um, this city committed to having an independent crime lab some years ago, more than ten years ago, uh, and sometimes that independence uh, doesn't sit well with all of the the partners in the criminal justice system. And so we think that the kind of back and forth that we have had, for example, United States Attorney's Office, may be uh, a recurring thing and just kind of intrinsic. Um, to having a, 
uh, independent crime lab. So what I've asked my team to do, because uh, I don't, I don't want to kind of do this this again, um, is to make to really look at our law in D.C. and that created an independent crime lab and have an honest discussion with all of the partners. Um, if it, and, and create a system that everybody can support. Um, and that's where we are with the lab. And I, I couldn't really be um, prouder of the work that we have done with our 911 call center. Uh, when I became mayor, we hadn't hired any new call takers in nine years. And our employees were among the most stressed in, the, in, in all of DC government. Uh, and since then, we've been able to, to pour in um, investments with new people and training uh, and work with uh, with their customers who are MPD and fire and EMS. And uh, is with any uh, agency like that, they're always looking for ways to improve their processes in coordination with our agencies. Here's another question from a viewer. This is from Laverne Dawkins of DC. Laverne asks, why isn't there more input from the youth? Why, what do they feel needs to be done to have a safer and better community to live in? So uh, I think I'll, that's I'll, I'll, Go ahead, Chief. Yes, ma'am, uh, I, will, I will jump in there. I think that's a, that's a very uh, valid uh, question. You know, I, I talk to the youth in our community all the time. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm restructuring my youth advisory council. Uh, I'm restructuring. We have a citizens advisory council and the chief's advisory council that's pretty much made up of adults. Well, I'm restructuring a program that we have in the Metropolitan Police Department to have a youth advisory council, young people, to advise me on issues. Right now, I get that from going around our city, uh, the chats with the chief, uh, talking to our young police cadets that are born and raised uh, here in Washington, D.C., many of them. Uh, so I, I kind of get it through those th through those different uh, veins, if you will. But uh, to really have something formal, uh, I'm working on that, uh, our youth advisory council. Uh, to advise the chief of police on matters pertaining to youth, I think it, it is it is a an, a an incredibly important issue. And you know, and to to quote a friend of mine, you know, in in order for us to get closest to the problem, we got to get closest to the pain. And when we get close to the pain, a lot of times you see things through a different lens that you know sometimes oh, some people just don't see because it's not their lived experience. You know, even from the time when I grew up in the city and the mayor grew up in the city, you know, some of the challenges that our young people are dealing with, you know, just I mean, just a, a very simple one. The issues that they deal with, uh, with the pressures around social media. You know, the mayor and I, we didn't have social media really as an as an issue uh, back in our time growing up, but that's very real, it's very present uh, in the lives of our young people. Sometimes it leads to violence in our city, and that is a fact. So uh, I think it's a very valid question. It's something that I'm working on, and I'm sure the mayor has uh, tons of other ways on her side that she's hearing from the young people in our city. You wanna jump in on that, Mayor Bowser? I mean, I think you asked the perfect question, actually, um, because we kids they they are uh, they are growing up in, di in a different time, but um, they're very um, they're very smart. They see a lot, and they do have a lot of uh, opinions and recommendations. If you ask, um, and I also think that you know even when we are in our most challenging environments. Uh, kids are kids, and they they want 
They want opportunities. They want to live. They want to be safe. And some of them are really scared. Um, now there are other young people in our community that have been so traumatized or have been um, so neglected um, of and haven't been exposed um, to the types of opportunities in our city that they need um, very serious interventions. Um, and that's one reason why I've been so focused on getting kids back in school uh, through this pandemic. We sent our kids home, our teachers did an incredible job. Um, but when kids are separated from school, then they don't have those trusted adults. They don't have the school counselors, the nurses, and the, the mental health professionals that are in all of our buildings. Um, that can help us uh, figure out um, when, when a kid needs help and sometimes that help prevents a kid from being a perpetrator of violence or a victim of violence and uh, that's why connecting schools it really can't be under under uh, we can't underestimate the the impact of this these COVID closures on a lot of things that are happening across our city uh, I've got one for Chief Conti and the discussions about police reform and progressive prosecution policies, crime victims often feel left out and, and sometimes harmed by new initiatives, which they feel focus on the rights of defendants. Uh, why is that? You know, why should victims suffer? If you think they do, uh, are there, is there harm to crime victims uh, when we change these, these kind of uh, policies of prosecutions and arrest? I absolutely uh, believe that that there's an impact. I, I got an email from a um, from a dad the other day whose uh, son um, was shot and killed uh, by an, an errant round that was meant for someone else. Shot and killed his son, and now that individual um, uh, is going to be able to plead to a, a charge of manslaughter. And the, the the dad was conveying to me that this person. Uh, had this person committed a carjack and they probably would receive more time than this person is going to get for uh, for killing his son. And he was very upset about that. And I don't think that a lot of times uh, the victims, uh, the, the, the survivors uh, and victims, uh, the perspectives are taken into account. And that's just my personal view. I've been doing this for a long time, uh, you know, and I would say, you know, if you look at the last 18, 19, 20 months, you know, what has been introduced? What what have we talked about? Uh, that really is in support of our victims of crime. What what have we talked about? What new thing that we've talked about when it comes to holding people accountable that really kind of take our victims and survivors and, and, and really take their perspectives into account? Uh, I haven't seen it. It's just my my personal view. Uh, and, and, and I know that there are a lot of families out there that are feeling that because I talked to them personally. Unfortunately, with the 184 homicides that we've had so far this year, uh, a lot of those scenes, I'm standing over top of uh, the, their, their loved one and having conversations with those families of those loved ones uh, that were lost. And, and they oftentimes feel as these cases, as they move through the process, uh, they often feel very much left out. Here's a question from Jessalyn Walker of the city. In what ways are citizens able to assist in identifying what makes us feel safe in DC? How can people I think, 
Yeah, I think that communicating with the police, I mean, that's important. You know, I've held several chat with the chiefs uh, where we've done these virtual uh, meetings, even in a COVID environment, uh, where I want to connect with the community. Just yesterday, I was out walking several communities in our city in Ward 4, in Ward 5, uh, and, and Ward 6, uh, really just trying to connect with residents to hear. Uh, I had a meeting with uh, with a, with another uh, a business group the other day, and, and one thing that, that came out of that, sometimes the things that we intend on the law enforcement side that we intend uh, to make community members feel safe uh, in their eyes or through the lens that they that they that they're looking it doesn't necessarily achieve the the, the, the desired outcome for example uh, in a conversation that I recently had um, in one of our business corridors you know we were talking about the presence of police and the officers in the area and they got their lights going and our intention is to make residents feel safe because they can say, hey, look, we see the police. Some of the business owners in that area say, well, hey, through our lens, uh, sometimes people think that they just missed a shooting or that something happened in the block. So it's not necessarily making people feel safer. You know, so I think through dialogue and conversation and, and engagement, you really kind of get a better understanding and a better lens of how people are viewing, you know, what the police are doing. And that I think that that's very informative for community members that we um, communicate what it is we're trying to achieve. And perhaps through that communication, you get a better outcome when there's understanding of what, what uh, we're really trying to do to make communities feel safer. There's a question from a reader that I think might have been uh, aimed at Chief Connie, but I would be interested to hear Mayor Bowser's thoughts on it as well. It's from Ariadna Alvarado, uh, who asks, why don't you resume the old tradition of community foot patrols, especially in sensitive and busy areas? It does help to reduce and prevent violence and can certainly improve partnership, build trust and enhance community engagement while facilitating relationship building between police officers and members of the community. You remember the days when the police walked the beat, Mayor Bowser? That's today. Police walk the beat. So this this is this is this is for Chief Conti because if yeah, if when I hear neighbors say that as if it's from a bygone era, I am concerned. Um, and I know the chief will be concerned uh, because police should be walking the beats. And I've heard it enough to know um, that we have work to do, uh, that we want our, our residents to know their officers and know their lieutenants. They're responsible for public safety uh, in that area. We've invested in bikes. Uh, I think we even invested in electric bikes so that we're getting more. And my expectation is that the, the new hiring that we're doing those will be officers that will go on bikes and on foot before they go in cars. And so that is, that's hugely important. We don't want our residents to only see the police when there's a problem um, because that neighbor is not gonna call if there is a real problem and they can help with some uh, with a witness statement uh, to help us keep a neighborhood safe or hold someone accountable. So I agree with your caller and we're gonna continue to identify ways to make sure um, that the officers are meeting our expectation of being on the street and talking to people. 
Yeah, if I could just add to that, uh, it's just one of the reasons why we started our uh, community focused patrol that I mentioned earlier, and we'll continue to expand that as new recruits come out of the academy. You know, and as the mayor mentioned, I mean, that's very important. It's very important to me uh, that we have that level of engagement. Uh, one of the things that we've done in the interim is really kind of focused our efforts to do more hotspot policing as opposed to fixed areas. And the difference there is, so as an officer who's assigned to a cruiser, for example, uh, whatever street, uh, you know, if this is if this beat is part of the area and there's a problem area you know they will now park the cars in the community in a block every hour get out uh, walk that area for about 15 minutes back to the car because the other piece that we're trying to balance with the shrinking workforce is the response to calls for service and as the mayor talked about this at the very top uh, we're still responding to over 600,000 calls a year for service so you know we, we still got to get to those calls but we still have to be present in the community and you got to have the people to do that so uh, as we continue to hire people my intention is to expand the community focused patrol unit to make sure that not just the patrol officers who are assigned to the districts out there, but we have a force of officers that are mobile, engaged, and those officers on mountain bike, as the mayor mentioned, without e-bikes as they as those come in, they still have the capacity to be able to respond and be engaged in the community on foot, on bike, and, and I think that that is important. So thank that, that viewer uh, for that question. That was an excellent one. Thank you. Well, let's take one more from the viewers, which is from Matthew Sullivan who asks, what is the penalty for using a gun that is not licensed, and how can we stop gun violence in D.C.? Yeah, the, the, the penalty, uh, I wish it was, uh, uh, you know, more than uh, more than what it is, but it, it starts out, um, you know, as a misdemeanor offense, pretty much, and individuals, uh, you know, I, I would, you know, challenge Matthew, if you, if you go to look to see, you know, what accountability looks like in terms of, uh, you know, how much uh, time or incarceration a person does for possession of a firearm in the District of Columbia. First offense, you know, probably time served, some type of probation. Uh, second offense, you know, maybe, maybe some months or something like that, less than a year. But uh, I think that the residents of the District of Columbia, at least through the conversations that I have, uh, they have a greater expectation in what we're doing right now. And I think that that's something that we need to look at uh, as a city to determine whether or not those penalties uh, actually uh, measure up to what residents' expectations are. Uh, how do you end gun violence? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. I think we're trying to figure that out all across the country. Uh, but I will say this, uh, when you talk about illegal guns and people who use them, uh, they can't commit those crimes with those illegal weapons if they're not on the streets. And the other thing, Chief, uh, that I think is important to note, sometimes, um, a, a lot of times, residents can't see MPD working. Uh, and the chief has been very focused on how to uh, increase intelligent led, intelligence-led policing efforts, um, the partnerships with the uh, other federal law enforcement agencies that are focused on crime. Um, and that has allowed, I think, I'm going to brag on them a little bit, uh, to get to guns before they can be used uh, and to get higher up on the, the, the kind of the crime food chain of people who are coordinating um, this uh, gun and drug activity uh, in, our, in our city. So we're always going to be out there blanketing the, blanketing the city with patrol officers and maintaining a presence. 
um, but also inside. Um, there, there are very smart policing strategies being used um, to deal with, you know, the higher ups and the, the, the kind of the crime food chain and to get to guns before they get in the hands of people who will use them. Mayor Bowser, uh, COVID-19 caused many people to lose their jobs, disrupted transportation, led to greater isolation, uh, and a spike in crime in some areas. Uh, do you, what's been the overall impact of COVID uh, on the city in terms of safety and violence? And do you think that it will improve uh, as COVID declines? Well, I think the the oh, is as I said at the top, it's hard to pinpoint any one thing for the cause of increasing in in gun crime. Um, but I, I certainly think the city getting back to normal um, will 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 help everything from people being back to their normal uh, employment, normal. Uh, normal volumes of people in in parks and on streets and on the trains i frankly believe all of those things um, will will help improve the public safety environment uh, i also know for sure uh, that what we've experienced has largely been concentrated in areas um, that have experienced you know that you know have the the brunt of gun, gun crime and uh, the focus that MPD uh, and our building blocks initiatives and our pathways initiative that are helping people get employed uh, and uh, our violence interruption initiatives. We think that all of those things combine and actually COVID uh, or the funds that came from the federal government because of COVID um, have allowed us to make really historic investments in all of those areas. Um, so the, the, the experience with COVID and the, the federal relief that came with it may at the end of the day um, allow us to see what public safety and non-law enforcement interventions are working. Unfortunately, we're out of time, so we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us, Mayor Bowser and Police Chief Conti. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.